So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of So Rare in the States. We have, as usual, my co-host Nashi with us. How are you today, Nashi? I'm doing good, mate. Despite the fact your uh, your countryman broke my heart earlier with a 90-minute goal, Pulisic got a uh, got a winner against West Ham. I don't know if you saw that, but it's what we do. Other than that, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. A little birdie told me that you had a you had a little anniversary this week, so uh, congratulations on that one. Yeah, mate. I mean, it was a it was a double edged sword because, like I said, I had plans to go to the uh, U.S. Open, the Cup game, the LAFC game, and uh, yeah, forgot that my anniversary was on the same day. So we had to have the, the ultimate decision, the age old decision between the marriage and the football. But uh, this time, this time, the marriage just edged it. But it was a close call. Well, we know you made the right decision there, so congratulations on that. Uh, today's guest, I'm really excited to bring in uh, a guy that I've been working with for a little while. Um, we have John here from Predictology. Uh, how are you doing today, John? Yeah, I'm doing great, guys. Uh, really, really pleased to be here, and uh, congratulations, Nashi. Wonderful achievement. <laughs> yeah, the real achievement. I, I congratulate his wife more than him. She's the one that's really made the achievement yes. there. Um, but for Indeed. those of, for those people that aren't maybe too familiar with uh, with the, your work, John, what what is it that you guys do over Predictology? Just give us kind of a basic rundown of everything, kind of where you guys are, um, and and what you guys kind of. Yeah, sure. Um, Predictology is a sort of football, or I should say, soccer, growing up in the the audience, but a football data and and betting data and uh, analytics platform. Um, so we've we pull in uh, live feeds with with in-play analytics. We've got uh, we cover about four hundred thousand uh, historical matches across sort of sixty-eight leagues and competitions, various betting markets and form lines and, and trends and stuff. And we sort of pull that together into sort of a easy-to-use interface for for people interested in sports. And that can be you know if you're uh, looking to develop uh, uh, betting or trading strategies, or you're looking for insights from a, a journalistic point of view. Um, really, it's just a uh, a central platform for all things uh, football and betting related really that's fantastic and i i have been on the site for a little while i do a, a little piece for you guys every week on the mls games um, maybe just some some teams to look out for and the analytics on the website are fantastic they're top-notch very easy to use uh, it's really a wonderful website and i also another little berry told me speaking of anniversaries that you guys have an anniversary coming up here john <laughs> indeed we do yes yeah. so actually on this coming Thursday is our uh, our eighth uh, birthday since we launched the the platform, which we're all very uh, delighted and proud about to be to be here uh, and, and 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 going strong in all that time. That is fantastic! Uh, really great information there. Definitely check out Predictology on Twitter. Um, I think it's what at Predictology underscore Bet. Is that right? Uh, no underscore bitches at Predictology Bet. Yeah, gotcha. perfect. So definitely check that out. They have some great stuff that that goes up there as well. Um, but we will go ahead and get into the meat of things this week. And I think we're gonna have to start with what a week DC United had. So even though uh, 
even though we had a cup game, which we'll we'll get into the Open Cup a little bit later on, we're going to start and just keep it focused on uh, on the New England game this past weekend. Um, there's a guy, I don't know if you guys have heard of him. His name is Taxi Fountas. He is absolutely phenomenal. Great game last week. Really, really impressed. Um, DC getting a little bit of the... Uh, of the new coach bump, I think, and I think I wrote in the Predictology article this week, I think I wrote that I expected both DC and San Jose to get that bump, and we'll kind of talk about maybe their, their whole seasons a little bit later on, but what did you guys think of the DC game? Do you What do you think of Taxi Fountain? Uh, yeah, I, I watched the game uh, live, and even before he got the first goal, I was watching it thinking, oh, we've got a player on our hands here. I think he just, I mean, he had so much energy, um, really, really sort of, I remember in the commentary after they went one goal down, they were sort of saying, which player in the DC team is going to stand up and, and sort of take the game. And they weren't sure, you know, based on recent results, who had the character to do it. But Taxi, boy, did he did he take the game by the scruff of the neck. I mean, we've got a real potential MLS star on our hands here. I hope so. Um, but there's also something that might hold him back a little bit. And we'll talk about a little bit later, the firing of Hernan Lasada. Um, but I also want to take it mm. just from the New England perspective for a second. I didn't see the game. Uh, we had our uh, the Riverhounds had a game. Um, so shout out to the Riverhounds. We actually had a regular season attendance record this past weekend. So, so had over five thousand tickets sold. So great job, Riverhounds. Um, but was it was obviously working. Didn't get to see the games. Um, but I did get to see the highlights. And Brad Knighton had some absolute howlers. Now you were watching the game, John. Am I crazy here? Or did the goalkeeper like on maybe both of Taxi's goals? Did the, should he have done better with those? Uh, I have to say, I, I it may be different watching it back in the highlights. Brad Knighton wasn't the thing that uh, th- that stood out to me. I think what really um, I think undid New England was this, this, this structurally and tactically that that there's something missing their setup. They're, they're not connecting uh, the midfield and, and the defense, and it's leaving them really, really susceptible to these counterattacks, which is perfect for tactics. He lets get on the ball, run at the player, make him worried, and then you know either lay it off or, or be with the one receiving the ball in. So uh, I may well have mi- missed missed a couple of those mistakes, but I thought it was really just uh, really good pressing from DC, but really New England with their own own worst enemy, I think, in their in their structural defense in Did connection with midfield. Did you see Carlos Hill having a bit of a heated discussion with uh, with the two coaching staff over there? I only saw the clip on on Twitter. I didn't see the game, but it seems like uh, yeah, all is not all is not quite well at uh, New England at the minute, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think anyone's going to argue that all is well in New England, coming from setting a regular season points record last year to just an absolutely abysmal start this season. I know they have CCL, but they also didn't play the first round of CCL because the other team forfeited. So they only played one round of CCL. It's just not enough of an excuse for me. And I think John's right. They have bigger issues here than just um, maybe one or two games where they're they're not on form. This is now, what, two months into the season, and we're still talking about New England not being able to, to go forward like they do and really not being able to defend like they do. I think about last night. I think about the RSL game a little earlier in the season. Both of those games they should have had complete control of. Both of those teams are outmatched talent-wise for against New England, um, but both of those teams end up getting like three-two wins. You know, just shouldn't have that level of uh, of goals conceded. Um, so yeah, obviously, I think big big problems in uh, in New England, and uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Nashi, did you happen to see any games this week? I actually, yeah, I actually um, had a bit of a heavy night on a 
on Friday, so I was actually I was at home all weekend. I watched a lot of games. Um, first one that was kind of a, a crazy game, the Dallas-Houston, whereas on paper you just see a 2-1. But I actually thought the kind of takeaway from that game was Houston looked pretty good. They, they applied themselves well. They were a bit unlucky. They, they conceded two quick-fire smash-and-grab goals late on. But um, I hadn't watched them up to this point in the season. And they're, they're just, yeah, I was impressed. They they popped the ball well. Like Dallas are a dangerous team on, on their day. They can hurt you a lot. And they kind of kept them at bay until the last few minutes. They kind of capitulated. But I think there's some positive signs for Houston there. They were just kind of, for me, coming into a bit of an under-the-radar team. You don't hear all that much about them. They don't have any, like, super, superstars as far as I'm aware. But um, they're kind of ticking along. And, they yeah, I, I was impressed by them. So they Dallas. are they are going to be picking up a superstar or a quote unquote superstar. They're signing Hector Herrera from the Mexican national team from Atletico Madrid. So he'll be here in the summer. Um, major reinforcements coming for Houston. They have new ownership. They're finally starting to spend money. The guy that scored their goal, Seba Ferreira, is is one of their most expensive signings ever. So we may be getting close to having Houston as an actual contender in in MLS. Um, I don't know their talent level as of yet. I Honestly, I haven't watched them as much this season. Um, but yeah, I think they are definitely getting there for sure. So go yeah, ahead. Dallas, like, you know, they're, they're a dangerous team on their day, but they just, they, the it's not a problem. It's good and it's bad, but a lot of their standout, their top talent are all young guys. And just generally in football, soccer, that's going to mean a little bit of inconsistency from week to week, you know, over the season. It takes them really like experienced top players to just be able to perform at a top level so consistently. And that's what almost even at the, the cream of the game, you see the Ronaldos, the Messis, it's the, it's the consistency. They have an amazing game. And then the next week they go out and they do it again and do it again. And Dallas is on their day, like we've spoke about before. They got Savania, I really like, Pomical, Herrera, Velasco, all brilliant players in, in the league. Um, but yeah, it, you know, just with age, with that youth, comes a little bit of inconsistency. But it was a, it was a good game to watch. I enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, both these teams can kind of take some positives from the game, I guess. Awesome. So yeah, a, a good one to watch there in Dallas. And I, I know Dallas is a team that we have talked about before. I know that we are definitely keeping up with them for the U23 potential that they have got there. Um, I want to move now to Colorado. And I want to talk a little bit about Jack Price. Obviously, comes off injured. What I heard was that it was a hamstring, so that's generally like a four to six week type of injury. Um, not good. He's really not started very well at all for a guy that was supposed to be kind of a nailed on stud. He's really struggled. Colorado has really struggled. You're playing a Charlotte team who's honestly not the most talented team in the league. They have played well at home at times in front of that crowd. But let's not forget they still did not have a point on the road until last night, able to get the 0-0 draw in Colorado. Um, they lose Jack Price. Is there some sort of issue in Colorado that you're seeing maybe in the numbers, John, that, that can kind of tell us what's going on? Um, or is this just kind of, you know, slow start to the season and, and maybe they can pick it up a little bit later? Where are you at on Colorado? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It happens to be another game that I did watch a bit of. And um, even before his in injury, a little bit like Gil, Jack Price just seemed a bit grumpy, you know, unhappy about things, a bit frustrated by things. So there's potentially something going on there. Um, I think Colorado really were just their own worst enemy in the, in the final third. Um you know, Rubio hadn't hit the post or the bar twice. Um, they 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 got into interesting positions, but they just 
didn't really create chances. So I, I think maybe it's it's early early season form, or, or maybe it just needs some fine tuning in, in their tactics and, and, and attack play. But um, you know, in terms of sort of chances created, they're they're about on you know they've scored as many as they should have scored based on their chances created. So there's definitely something going on there in terms of the final third and their their approach plays and attacking um, movements. Yeah. And definitely a situation where they've had some games where I thought, man, they should really, you know, win this game. RSL at home, SKC at home. I, I think they drew both of those games. Maybe Charlotte at home. They're just games where, you know, going up to the altitude in Colorado against a less talented team or in SKC's situation, just a team that's just not playing very well. Um, you should get mm-hmm. results at home and they're not pulling these results. And I am, to be honest, a little bit worried about Colorado this year. I, I don't know if they can really kind of bounce back. And, and as you said, they're kind of scoring as much as they're creating, just not creating enough. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. you know, obviously they trade for Giassi's artist, which maybe that helps. Maybe Giassi is just, you know, the answer, but it's not like Giassi has, has been really great. Go ahead, Nashi. No, I was going to say, yeah. And like against, they're, they're the games, right? you, you've got to beat Charlotte. Charlotte is struggling away from home. Like you said, they're the games in the season where for a team like Colorado is going to make the difference. Talking of Charlotte struggling on the road, did you guys catch the, the Red Bulls game? They're, they're definitely not struggling on the road. I think I saw when I was watching the game that they like a, something like the third or fourth team in history to win their first four away games, which is impressive in any league, but in the MLS, as we're kind of finding out with the, the home advantage and how tough it is with the travel and everything to go away. How impressive is that for you, Chris? Yeah, actually, I'll let John answer that because he probably has better numbers on on home and away advantage than I do. Um, but yeah, also just to point out real quickly, New York doesn't have a win at home, so they've won four straight on the road. No wins at home. How weird is that, John? It's very it's very weird for particularly for the profile of the MLS. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but it, it's a well known um, fact that. that for various reasons, particularly with the travel, that, that the home teams uh, have a slightly higher advantage than they would do in, in, in other leagues. So, yeah, I think that's, that's it's an incredible away run for, for New York. And I actually thought Nashville, and I think we'll talk about them later, have done pretty well considering all their games have been away. But I would be concerned if I was New York with the fact that they haven't won any games at home. I mean, uh, that does... does uh, Caused a few concerns, although I did watch their game last week, which was nil-nil. And God, I mean, how, how many chances they had against Dallas? I don't, I don't know. But um, I think just circling back to the to the original topic, I think I would be less worried as a Colorado fan compared to perhaps a New England or a, or a Kansas City fan. I think um, they're, they're they're not performing great. They're underperforming, but I'm not seeing the same sort of structural issues that I would see um, in those other two at the moment. That's interesting. You, you mentioned, like, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned um, SKC is having some some issues. You want to expound upon that and, and kind of say why you think Sporting is is having more issues than Colorado? Yeah, look, I think um, I mean look, Kansas have, have have started the season incredibly poorly, uh, as we know. I think they're the third bottom in in, in their conference. Um, but I think what, what's 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 really worrying for me is they uh, where have I got the stats? I mean, they've only scored six goals in in however many games, eight games. I think they're averaging point. Uh, six seven goals um but even with with factoring like with colorado they're scoring about what they should be um so there's slight improvement in their approach play and, and you can see those numbers going up but uh kind of down by almost half a goal a game um on their expected chance creation um so i think that they're a team that can turn things around and i, I might be wrong but i think they're a slow starter uh, traditionally a slow starter in seasons is that right chris but um 
they're they're not creating very much and and what they are creating they're not they're not converting as many as they should be as well which i think is more of a concern i would say yeah i mean you're right they do start slow sometimes but they also just have some random stinking stinker years where they just aren't any good for whatever reason Mm. you lose alan polito for the season who's your your star striker opens up a ton of space for the wingers and i think they got a ridiculous output from their wingers last year like johnny russell and Salloway just mm. went absolutely off last year, and it's just not sustainable to try to keep that up. Plus, you get you get rid of Elie Sanchez, who's one of your primary creators. Haven't had Gaddy Quinta all season, who's your other prime creator, and it just kind of spells disaster. I don't know if, if Quinta coming back yeah. is going to really help that. I, I mean, I'm sure it helps, but I don't know if that gets them back to playoff level. Yeah, and I think Saloy is, is a very interesting one to pull up there because, yeah, he had a, a great second half of last season, but there is nothing in his career history that supports those metrics as a, as a long-term thing. So he, it could well be that he's regressed back to the norm now rather than last season being the, the expected output. So that will be a concern for them. Russell, I'm sure, will will find his feet. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not getting any younger, but he's a quality player. But Soloy is the one which I think is over um, overthought of at the moment in terms of that kind of output. That wasn't a normal output level for him. Yeah, and even with Russell, he's very streaky too. Like, he'll get on a tear and just start mm-hmm. going off. Um, so this isn't, like, out of character for Johnny Russell at all. Um, but you're right, Soloy mm-hmm. is definitely the one to kind of to, to kind of be a little more worried about if you're an SKC fan. Um, any yeah. other games that you watch here, Nashi, before we start uh, start getting into the the real fun stuff? I watched, yeah, I watched. Well, first of all, to, just quickly on the lack of creativity, um, struggling to score. You know, I got to give an honorable mention to Chicago, and <laughs> yeah, I'm really starting to get worried now. They've got talking of stats. I think they've got the they've got the least goals for and the least goals against in the league. <laughs> which is pretty a pretty rare thing to happen. But they just they just Shakiri came back. Maybe he's not quite up to speed yet. But they're just kind of struggling to to get the ball in the back of the net. And luckily they're quite defensively resolute. Obviously they they went a goal down, then lost a man, and kind of capitulated at the end of the game. So the three nil was a bit of a misrepresentation of the game. It wasn't like a blowout game. But um, yeah, I am getting a bit worried. I'm really now hoping that Jairo Torres can come in and just be a spark and just add add that little extra threat up top that maybe creates the space for Shakiri. But um, yeah, a little worried about Chicago. The Galaxy, I watched that game and uh, it was kind of what you expect from Nashville. They were very, very defensive and it was running out a bit of a nil-nil. And the one thing to note was um, Douglas Costa didn't start the game. He came on and it was the first time I've watched him play and he played in a number 10 role, meaning just behind the striker rather than out wide. And he was way, way more effective from that position. He was sort of picking the ball up, finding little pockets of space. And he wasn't maybe like the physicality when you're isolated out wide um, in the MLS, like we've mentioned before, it's a physical league. It was kind of struggling with, struggling with. And when he could kind of have that less defensive responsibility, the number 10 role, he seemed to look very comfortable. So I guess that's something to keep an eye on going forward because a bit like um, Triusi, when you get a quality player playing that role, it ends up translating to the matrix pretty nicely. So if he gets up and up to speed in fitness-wise and can find a position there, I mean, it's something to watch out for. I think it could be could be good for him and for the Galaxy. Um, Galaxy also got Derek Williams back. They've not lost the game since he got back into the team, uh, back from injury. He's got he got an assist for the for the game winner. Um, he's someone who 
I liked from before. He's a bit of a, a bit of a gung ho defender. He doesn't pull out of a challenge, but he, he lines up pretty well for the so rare matrix. He'll get the interceptions and he's aggressive. And yeah, they've won three on paper. They have four pretty tough games. They've won three, drawn one since he's back in a team. So that's something to sort of look out for there. And the last game I watched was the Miami uh, game. I don't know if you saw that. Eva, did you catch that one, John? Uh, it was 1 a.m. for me, so I did miss that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were sound asleep. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Miami, Atlanta, on paper, I was thinking it could be, could be a, you know, Miami had a couple of good results, but Atlanta coming in on paper, they look like a bit, more, a lot more of a talented team. And Miami really impressed me. I guess a couple of standout guys. Obviously, the, the storyline, the headlines, Higuain kind of, I don't know where he fits into this team. Um, Campagna up front, just going from strength to strength. He looks like a top quality player and he's he's really added like a nice balance to their... They're, they're, like Higuain, I feel like, needs to be on a team that's going to carry him in a sense of like control the ball, create chances for him to get the best out. But Miami just haven't been that team. They haven't got that quality through the through the team so he just doesn't really fit in there but I mean he's an expensive player I'm not sure but that campagna has come in he's strong he holds the ball up he does what you need for a team that aren't going to be dominating possession week in week out as a centre forward and he looked brilliant again today and he has been in, in hot form and another player I, I kind of stood out today was um, Jean Motta and he's like a kind of defensive midfielder but he's kind of a ball playing one a bit like a I mean, he was really comfortable on the ball, a bit like a Luka Modric. And I kind of, I guess my note, my observation from that and the importance of that in a team like Miami, you talk about when you're on a bad run, you need your players to be brave. You need them to stand up and be counted. And kind of, uh, you know, from my experience as a midfielder, it's not always the guy who's steaming into tackles, who's flying in, like who's who you need in terms of bravery. Sometimes being brave is... Get demanding the ball off the defence when you're up against it, you know, when you're under pressure, getting on the ball, making sure you're always available, not hiding from from the spotlight when you're on a bad run. And he's a player who stood out. He was doing that. He was kind of dictating the tempo of the game. So I'm not, I haven't even looked at his so rare scores, but the type of player he looked like, he might, he might be one to watch there if they can, as a team, start improving. So... It's kind of my quick roundup of them three games, but I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, I think with Miami specifically, I know I was very critical of them early in the season and critical of uh, critical of their coach. You know, just kind of not bringing the team together, not not being a great coach. Um, and I think you kind of got to give them a little bit of a pass since they rotated so many guys out of their team last year. Um, I think they signed like 20 new players something absurd like that so you kind of you're almost like an expansion team at that point you're almost kind of starting from scratch except you don't get all the resources that normal expansion teams get when they start so it's really tough and and Miami has I think they've won all three games since I was really critical of Neville but it was uh yeah it's definitely something to watch there with Higuain um if he actually fits into that team he he may not really be needed he may not be a starter moving forward on that team. Um, but you also mentioned Chicago and you mentioned Nashville. Um, and I just want to kind of go back to, to those two a little bit because they're kind of the two main, I guess, culprits and in, in something that we've seen in the numbers. Um, and when I say we, I haven't seen anything. John is, is the guru of all numbers. And uh, he tells me that there is an 
unbelievable amount of 0-0 games this year. Something that is absolutely, like, we don't expect. That's that's kind of unsustainable. Um, and, and I think Nashville and Chicago are, are kind of the two main culprits, but it's kind of going on everywhere. So I'll let you kind of get into it, John, and, and kind of go from go from there, and we'll ask you some questions. Yeah, sure. I think, uh, I mean, well, for starters, Chicago uh, five, scored five, conceded five, so they got, they're the only team in the league with a, a break-even goal difference. Um I, I think that I, certainly for Chicago holders, I would I would be certainly looking at more of the defensive side of it. I think this is the way they're set up to play this season. Uh, it was interesting the coach was saying that they're they're not a defensive team, and, and he thinks they've been really good in the attacking third. I didn't really get that vibe from the Minnesota game, but they are about a third of a goal per game below what they should be scoring. So there may be something into that. Um, Although I thought Minnesota played very well and we've got quite an interesting spine. But moving on to those, those stats, though, I think what's really interesting is, um, you know, we had a, what, a nine-goal thriller earlier today. We had the, the seven goals uh, the previous day with, with the San Jose game. and um, Plenty of goals the other weekend. You think MLS, most entertaining league in the world, plenty of goals, the goals are flowing. But it's actually, there are some question marks around that when we re- remove a couple of teams from, from, from that analysis. So... I thought I'd just sort of quote the 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 number of goals. Um, so I think last uh, last game week we had 35 goals uh, from the 14 games, an average of 2.5, and 38 from from this weekend at 2.71, which is, which is where we would expect to see things, right? However, if we just remove uh, New York and DC from that list, it actually drops down to 24 goals um, in each of those 12 games, which is an average of two, just two goals per game, which is which is way below sort of the medium of what, we, what we'd expect. And that is largely brought on by the fact that so far this season, I mean, so far this season, we've seen 11% of games finishing 0-0. Now, to put that in context, as a global average, you know, taking majority of leagues, we should be sort of seeing around about an 8% nil-nil. And for the MLS, um, the last four seasons, it's, it should have been uh, 6.6% in 21. Uh, 2020, I think we can put a sort of star around it. It was at 7.4, but there was, it was a, a lot of disruption to those leagues. And the two years before that was 4.5 and 0.2%. So at 11%, we're, we're way above what we would expect um, nil-nils. And that's predominantly come in the last couple of weekends with uh, uh, 28% of the games in, in last week weekend finishing nil-nil. So four out of the 14 and another 21.5% this weekend with three out of the 14. So... That's an average of one in four games finishing nil-nil over the last uh, two game weeks, which is which is incredible, really. Um, and you know, there's, there's there's quite a few teams which I think uh, are the culprits for that. Now, I don't know whether this is, is simply early season form, whether it's a tactical switch in terms of teams playing away, or uh, teams misfiring, or, or 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 what. But you know, you've got Portland have scored zero goals in two games, same with RSL. Uh, Columbus haven't. Scored Scored hardly any goals in in a month, and certainly not in the last two weekends. So yeah, I think it's very interesting. Um, the the goal distribution is 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 really really closely centralised on on a, on a handful of teams, and there's a lot of other teams which are really underperforming on the, on the scoring matrix. That's really yeah, really wild. That, yeah, go ahead, Nashi. I'll let you go. No, I was going to kind of ask you a question, and this I mean that data was really interesting there, John. Um, the hmm. I guess I'd ask on more of a general level. So the assumption is that there's going to be more goals in the MLS than regular leagues. Do you have like a, obviously it's hard to nail down one reason. Do you have a hypothesis on kind of why that is? Is there anything that, what makes the MLS in general see it, see more goals? And do you think that will continue, say hypothetically the league gets stronger and stronger? Do you expect 
there could to continue to be more goals, or do you think that it'll kind of get closer to the global mean as the level goes up? And I'll put in a little caveat because I did, although I didn't watch my friend play against LAFC uh, in the US Open Cup, I met up with him for a beer the next day. And I asked him, he played in the lower leagues in, in um, the UK before he moved out here this year. And I said, well, what's the big difference between, and he plays a defender. I said, what's the difference between the two leagues? And he said, kind of joking, he's like, the midfielders here don't press. So when you're, when you're as a defender, he's thinking he's in a safe situation. And then their midfielder gets on the ball, just pops it over him. And next thing you know, the goal was in the back of the net. And we were kind of laughing and joking around it. But it did get me thinking, I wonder, is it the play style of the MLS or is it the quality of certain positions? What do you think it is that means there's more goals in this league than the than the rest of the world, like John was saying? Is that aimed at me or at Chris? Uh, Chris, probably. Unless oh, you've got sorry. Issues. I wasn't paying attention. That was my bad. Um, <laughs> oh, so oh, that's... John. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good uh, that's a really good point, Nash, and I think you nailed it on the head there when you said the quality is improving. Because um, the one thing that struck me when he was going over those numbers, he said, I think, and I might be wrong here, four point four in twenty eighteen, four point seven in twenty nineteen, and then twenty twenty it jumps to seven percent, twenty twenty one six percent, and now we're up over eleven percent. To me, that looks like it's steadily increasing. Obviously, we have pandemic year in there. But to me, that looks like it's steadily increasing. And actually, another thing that um, I'm going to use John's stats, even if he doesn't uh, have them pulled up directly, but I actually have been paying really, really close attention to like the home winning percentage. And over the last 10 years, it has been slowly, slowly dropping. It was like 55% or something um, uh, like 10 years ago. And it is now down to like 48, 47% somewhere in that area. And I think that when you kind of put those two together, the home teams aren't winning as much and they're not scoring as many goals. I think um, you really have two explanations. Either one, teams are realizing that they aren't going to win on the road, so they're just kind of packing it in and not trying to play. Um, To me, watching MLS games, I don't feel like that's not how I feel like teams are playing. The The other kind of explanation is... MLS is evolving from a league that used to be you get three DP players, all attackers. So you get three essentially world-class players that are going to be in your attack. And then your defenders are just kind of random guys from off the street who don't really know how to play. So the world-class guys just run them over, score a bunch of goals, home teams always win. Now you're starting to see you know U23 signings come in. So you're getting a, a lot more crisp midfield. And you're starting to see actually more defenders get signed as DPs. Um, I know, and we're talking about Chicago, they signed um, Chicos as a, as a DP, um, which is uh, an odd thing, really, for, for the DP rule. I think there's like three or four of them now that are that are DPs in the league. So I really think you're actually starting to see the shift, and you can kind of see it in the numbers, where the MLS is going from a league with two or three superstars, and the overall quality really isn't that good, to now you're actually getting real decent you know, depth you know, teams that, that can actually play. Um, yeah. So that's think, really what um, struck me from your number. Yeah. And how big do you think the um, the coaching is? Obviously, we haven't even spoke about Lasardi at, at DC. And obviously, his philosophy, I think, was the root of some of the... You can probably get into that. But do you think, like, over time, you know, I think Lasada wanted more press. He was working the players hard. And o- often that's associated with when you don't have the ball, you have to put in them extra yards. And I'm a West Ham fan and David Moyes came into us and we were leaking goals, struggling. And he said, that's all he asked for. He just, you're not running enough, you know? 
Mm. And do you think that over time the the coaches coming into the league can impact that? Or do you have any opinions on Lasada's philosophy and why it didn't quite take off with you guys? Yeah, so I mean that's a that's a really interesting question as well. I think honestly you're seeing a bunch of guys, Matias Almeida at San Jose fits into this category, where they're asking their players to do quite a bit of running. Not not just defensively. It's not just city, you know, man city where when they don't have the ball they press incessantly until they get the ball back and then they, you know, stop and hold the ball. This is we're going to run at you, we're going to get the ball, and then we're going to try to score as quickly as possible. So it leads to wide open games that have tons of goals. So I think that's why you see a lot of the um, a lot of the bigger you know score lines um, in the MLS. You see some of these nine goal games that are just absurd. Um, and I think <clears throat> coaching wise, I think they actually have tried to be maybe a wee bit too progressive. And I think they're, you're actually starting to see a little bit of a pushback now with guys like Almeida and Lasada, you know, making players upset. <laughs> and and by all accounts, the Lasada thing was not a results based firing. I mean, they have lost four in a row, but I mean, there was he was fantastic last year. Everybody predicted they would finish last, and they were one game away from the playoffs. So I really don't think you can say he wasn't a good coach. He had back-to-back wins to start the season. Yeah, they got into a little bit of a run of bad form, but I don't think anybody really thought that that was going to last for an extended period of time. And now you're, you know, obviously Matias Almeida, same thing. San Jose was was very good in 2018 and 19 at times, but they would kind of run out of gas, you know, when they get into summer and, and, and later into the fall. So I think that's one thing where maybe the league was not quite ready for the ultra press um, and and it's kind of pushed back and, and fired a lot of those guys or, or maybe those guys have moved on and now we're starting to see you know a little bit more possession based and a little bit more quality soccer yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah it's it's, it's interesting coming in yeah the philosophies and sort of the politics and it's a definite different play style and even compared to um i've been watching a little bit of league the mexican league league mx and it's a lot more kind of frantic there um, compared to the MLS, the quality, like the overall, as we've seen in the um, DCL, there's a similar level of football, level of soccer, but completely different styles uh, when you watch the games. And yeah, it's really interesting coming in. Is there any um, any themes, sort of, say, five years down the road, John, that you, you, from the data, from the stats that you guys have, that you're kind of predicting where the MLS might go from a statistical standpoint, from like these goal metrics and things like that? Yeah, I think I think all the all the points uh, that Chris made are, are are very relevant. I think you know it, it, we would expect to see the you know using the nil nil average as, as a baseline that that getting closer to the to the global mean. You know, as standards in, improve, as tactics improve, as as as, as uh, managers and, and, and players come in. I think I do think it's a very also a very valid point in terms of the, the profile of players that people are bringing in that uh, clubs are bringing in now over the the older. European star uh, obviously adds a lot of energy to it. I think um, you know I would certainly going forward. I, you know I'd see that the, the average moving to the more towards the mean. But I think there there are underlying issues in the present term, certainly around certain teams that we highlighted where um, you know the, the goals are not coming. And I think um, I was just looking back at last weekend's um, some of the nil nils there. You know you had Houston against Portland. They had. There was six, six shots on target um, in that game. Atlanta had uh, six six themselves against uh, Cincinnati, and New York against uh, Red Bulls against Dallas was was nine shots on target. Now, as a general rule of thumb, it, we we would base things being four shots on target 
for a goal would be sort of an average. So all of those sides are having more shots uh, than the, the, on target than they should have been. And it indicates to me that it's either, I think, in terms of uh, you know, Colorado, for example, I think it's their approach play and, and some of those other sides, like Atlanta, for example, uh, maybe it's the quality of the forward line that they've got. Because I think the, the teams in MLS have certainly improved from a defensive point of view. Um, but I think you know you, you've got some vastly different ranges of, of quality of striker and finishing across the the teams in, in the league. Yeah, so I I think that's really interesting kind of plot line to, to kind of follow as we go through the season. Um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe we see less of these five four these four three type games as well. John, is that something that's I mean, have you looked into that at all? Do you see kind of both sides kind of kind of coming to more of like a a 2-1 you know type of a game or, or is this uh maybe we expect more scoring in general uh no absolutely i think you sh- we should be getting back to um more, more normal scoring um you know i think you know you should see a lot more um you know 2-0s 2-1 3-1 1-1 sort of score lines you know 5-4 in any league at any time is, is not not a normal score line you'll probably see it once <laughs> once a season um but I, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting few weeks for some of those sides that we've highlighted um, in terms of uh, whether they can start uh, creating, fashioning better chances and, and be more clinical in front of goal. Um, and uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, so you, you're a, you are a so rare manager and we haven't really touched mm. on, but with the, uh, with the productology, with, of your interaction with that how do you think that helps you and like could potentially help other people get their lineups um maybe scout players or scout strategies to play so rare which obviously we're interested in we're trying to <laughs> get the inside scoop so kind of how can you apply these metrics these trends to your how or how do you apply them to your your uh, play of so rare and if you just want to yeah, tell us a... off of air so that no one else hears it and we can get the advantage <laughs> that's totally fine no problem. I can I'll hold back one or two, but yeah, it's a very it's a very good question, Nashi. Uh, uh, and I think that there's, there's there's one of one of two ways that that I personally use the data and potentially other other people could do. Now, I think the first thing to to, to be to point out is that we don't really have player specific metrics, uh, and even if we did, I'm sure we couldn't compete with the likes of Sora data. But what it can do is like in one area of the site, what we have is an algorithm that assesses you know the 400,000 plus games that we've got in our database it, it um, compares similar teams and profiles in a particular fixture and what it will do then is, is work out what it thinks the, the percentage uh, chance or the true probability of x happening whether that be over two and a half goals or whether that be uh, team uh, a to win and then what that then does is, is compare that to what the the um the real life available odds are and that's useful in betting because it indicates value and, and, and anyone uh, looking to to place uh, bets with any with any seriousness you, you want to have value on your side but i think you can also use that as a little bit more of an accurate metric for determining uh difficulty of a fixture uh strength of a particular team um so you know if you can see rather than just looking straight at the bookmakers odds it's perhaps giving you a more more accurate reflection now you might for example you might look at um uh, Seattle at home um, and see the odds are $1.80. Uh, so I don't know what the, the US uh, odds equivalent of that is for um, them to win and think, okay, I'm going to put my Seattle team in here 
um, because they've got uh, you know a favorable fixture. Now, if our, our database is actually saying they should be closer to even money or a little higher, then you might actually start thinking, well, actually that game is not as easy as those uh, available bookmaker odds are suggesting. Uh, I think that's one factor that you can certainly look to use. And I think the other way of looking at it is really looking at sort of, as we've been looking at here, some of the, the form factors and uh, expected goal ratios now. Um, no, I, think, I think I highlighted, um, where was it, Columbus uh, as, as a team uh, that's, that's going to be interesting in the coming weeks. So they are, they, you know, they opened the season scoring very well. They've had a terrible month in front of goal uh, and they're well behind on their, their expected goals. So you could be looking at that as a, um, uh, a team to be, if the odds are favorable, getting behind in the coming weeks as they start to move back to where the, the, the median uh, expectation around their goals are. So you might then be looking at, um, uh, selecting players on a, on a more offensive stack. You know, for example, I was looking at Columbus today. Um, uh, I've sort of put a star around uh, Etienne Jr. and 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 Miguel Berry, uh, who are two play people who have been on the slide recently in terms of their prices in Soraya. But if our forecasting is right, that Columbus is going to start finding the net in the coming weeks a bit on a, uh, on a much greater frequency, those could be sort of players that you want to be sort of stacking a team around. Um, Similarly, uh, you know, I've been looking at uh, Minnesota, who I've sort of earmarked as a team that, that's got a much higher potential this year using the data. And again, I think you start looking at the, the combining that with the Sered data and you can start seeing that they've actually got a very strong uh, spine. Uh, and if you put those two sort of uh, data viewpoints together, they can start giving you a clearer idea of, of, of how you might want to stack a team on a, on a weekly basis or the type of players you might want to look at in the short to medium term. Brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say that's actually something I've done before and it comes into my strategy too, but the expect on, on the expected goals front, but I do it mm. more for my goalkeeper selection because you can see in Soria Day and some other apps the who's the favorite to win the game. But when I'm selecting yeah. my I, one of my strategies, um, use it at your own risk because I'm not doing great lately, but I often try to match, say, my most favorable, say, super rare or forward combo with my goalkeeper that I think has the best chance to keep a clean sheet in like a D3 league because it's hard to compete for a top prize if you don't get a clean sheet. So that's kind of mm. a way that I kind of match them up. So I'm, every week I'm looking, who's my best goalkeeper this week? Who's got the best fixture? But sometimes you're looking like I have a Hurideki for Leverkusen and sometimes they're a big favorite in the game. But I know Leverkusen, they're going to score four and let in two, you know, and mm. he. Even that's showing me there are 70% to win the game. Sometimes I'm still thinking, I wish I knew like the expected goals of the other team to then make my strategic choice um, from the goalkeeper. So I guess it goes both ways. And I think, yeah, it really would be, uh, it's got me thinking now. It's got, got the wheel spinning, which is probably dangerous for me. But uh, I could use that to sort of get some strategies in there. So, yeah, that's really interesting, mate. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, look, Chicago Fire is going to be a, a prime example of this. Obviously, Slonino is out of the budget for most people, but if you look at a Pineda or a Miguel Navarro, I mean, I think they're, all go they're both going at the moment for around about 0.1. And Chicago, I'm not going to concede many goals this year. I would certainly be looking to put money into those types of players rather than a Shakiri, for example, at that side, certainly for the, the next few months. So, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of great player level data on uh, on. on 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 data, obviously, I think, and I think that that odds tool is, is is very useful. And I think just overlaying some of the stuff that we have in predictology just might give uh, uh, 
either support some of the, 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 the theories that you have or, or give a slightly different perspective when looking at the opposition as well. It's always Absolutely. great to get as much information as you possibly can when you're setting your lineups and when you're <clears throat> trying to get an edge on, on everybody else in the game. Um, now, we're mm. talking about Columbus. We're talking about Chicago. Both of these teams are teams that lost in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, I believe Chicago lost on penalties. Columbus got knocked out by Detroit City. Um, I think Austin was knocked out as well by a lower league team. Um, So a a few MLS teams actually had their runs come to an end. But that is not the reason you're here. You're here for story time with Uncle Chris, where we are going to go over what happened at the Riverhounds Cincinnati game. Um, which is an absolutely wild story. People in my Discord have uh, have kind of heard parts of it, um, but I think we're just going to go ahead and give a full accounting of what happened and uh, and and just kind of lay it all out there. So, um, really, uh, we we decided to go uh, to Cincinnati. Obviously, the biggest game of our season. Um, I think there were five of us that drove out. And then there was actually one guy that we met at the game who was a Riverhounds fan who lives in Cincinnati. Um, so there were six of us in the entire stadium. That was the away support. That was the travel. It was six of us. Um, we're sitting there enjoying the game, you know, having a few beers, talking to, you know, the, we, we went straight down onto the field level because there was no, nobody there. Um, sat in the first row, talked to the security guard the whole game. He was really nice, you know, you know, good conversation with him, um, talking about all the other, you know, different sports around the city, you know, different places to eat, all this stuff. Um, everybody else, very nice to the game. You know, we're walking on the concourse, everybody, hey, thanks for coming. Thanks for having the trip. Um, you know, good luck tonight, you know, all the stuff. The game itself was fascinating, 0-0 at halftime. Um, I thought we were the better team, honestly, as well. Um, we had maybe a half chance or two to, to kind of get ahead, but really didn't create something, you know, really big. And then, you know, Cincinnati towards the end kind of kind of took control. They, they put a lot of their starters in and towards the end of regulation and into, and into extra time. Um, but we at halftime, we decide to go over to the Bailey, which is Cincinnati's supporter section, and we're going to take a picture with one of their banners. It was like a, a Pittsburgh-themed banner, like, hey, welcome, Pittsburgh. So we're going to go take a picture with this banner. And we get up there. We uh, One of my friends hands his phone to, to one of the Cincinnati guys. says, hey, can you take our picture? And the guy screams at us, and he's like, no, like, get out of our section. And we're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, um, cool. So we, like, turned to, to somebody else and said, hey, can you take our picture? And they're like, yeah, sure, we don't care. Um, so we're going up the, up the stairs to get a picture with this banner, and the guy, like, races past us and rips the banner down, literally rips the flag in half, um, rips it down off the banister that it was on, and just starts, it just keeps screaming at us. And we're like, what do we do? Like, what did we do to you? Like, we're sorry if we did something. And he's like, get out of our section, get out of our section. So we're like, okay, like, I, I guess we'll go. Like, I mean, I guess he's figuring if he ripped the banner down, we can take a picture with it. I don't know. So walk back to our seats. Um, just absolutely wild story. We're like telling the security guard, like you're telling the people who are sitting around us who are all very nice as well. And uh, it just kind of, we're just having a laugh about like this crazy guy is just going nuts over there. So about the 70th minute, that was at halftime, about the 70th minute, security comes out from the from the building and they, they're telling us like, oh, you guys stole the sign. And we're like, 
no, we didn't steal the sign. We don't know what you're talking about. Like this guy just ripped it down. He was just, you know, being really rude to us. And uh, they're like, no, we have you on video. You stole the sign. We're going to have to ask you to leave. And we're like, we didn't, you know, we didn't do anything. You know, we're, we're trying to reason with them. We're trying to like, hey, can we see the video? Like we, we didn't do anything. So we know if you have it on video, you know, it wasn't us. Um, but they, you know, were insistent. So we, you know, got our stuff walking out of the stadium um, they had, it was absolutely wild. They had 16 security guards and police officers, a mix of the two, 16 of them to walk the six of us out of the stadium. And at, at this point it was nil nil in the 70th minute. Like we thought we had a, a, a chance. I mean, Cincinnati was growing into the game, but I mean, you get to nil nil in the 70th minute. You always think you have a chance. Um, so we walk out of the stadium, like this one security guard just being really rude, like trying to, you know, get really pushy and, and, and get us out of the stadium, eventually get out of the stadium, you know, walk out to a bar and, and just finish the rest of the game at the bar. Everybody's very nice at the bar as well. Like just two, like really random, crazy people. Um, so we drove back. Um, it was all over Twitter, um, that we, had, that we'd got kicked out. And, um, you know, we come back, we got back at like 3am. So we're all dead tired the next day. Um, but we called Cincinnati's ticket office and they actually ended up like apologizing to us. They gave us our, our ticket money back. They gave us our, um, they gave us driving money, you know, for gas to, to get out to the game and to get back. Um, so I actually, I, I was very upset within the first like few you know, the next day, um, I was obviously very tired as well, but very upset. And then, you know, the way Cincinnati handled it after the fact, you know, they admit they, they messed up. They admit it was a mistake. They compensated us for our time. Um, so just, you know, give, give a little round of applause to Cincinnati as an organization, well-run organization. Everybody gets it wrong sometimes. Um, but it actually ends up having a happy story. So that was absolutely the wildest game that I've ever attended as, as a soccer fan. Um, but I, I figured you guys would enjoy story time with Chris. Do you guys have any thoughts or, or any questions for me about that? No, I mean, that's, that's absolutely, that's a, that's a crazy story. That's mental. And it's so like, as you know, we went to one and I went to my first run of MLS games, um, this year and my experience kind of like you said, from 99% of the rest of the crowd and everything, where just everyone is so friendly to the point where, and so warming to even the other team's fans, you know, we'd be drinking in the bar before, and you've got fans from both teams, and they're chatting and laughing, and probably from John knows, coming from Europe, that's, even that felt a little like, oh, is something going to kick off here? And it wasn't even close, and after a while, I relaxed into it, and I had the camera, obviously, and I was a bit you know, anxious, well, are people going to be, you know, get a hump with that? And it was the opposite. Everybody wanted to help you and tell you where to go and what to do. And, and yeah, nothing, nothing but um, good, good vibes and good people. So that's really surprising that you almost go into a bit of trouble with the away end there, mate. Um, bit of a troublemaker. Yeah, that's road. what they were telling. They were they were calling us because the the name of our supporters group is the Steel Army. So they were like Steel as an S T E E L. So they they nicknamed us Steel Army S T E A L as in we stole something. So we had a bit of a laugh over, but we've been vindicated. Yeah, so it's a, fine. Yeah, it's a great crazy story. Um, it's one for the grandkids, obviously. Um, but yeah, to Nash's point, I, I totally agree. I mean, I've never. I mean, is there much crowd trouble in, in the MLS? I've never got the vibe that that it looks like it that, that there is, but. I mean, is that, is that something that does happen from time to time, or is it usually pretty good-natured? 
I mean, to be honest, I I haven't heard of a ton of issues. I I haven't really seen, you know, big fights or anything breaking out. Um, I mean, maybe we're getting closer to that as we get some some of these like, you know, Charlotte and Austin and these passionate fan bases and they really start Mm -hmm. to get stuck into rivalries. Maybe we'll start to see more of that. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I've never really gotten that vibe from from anyone. And I mean, even at our games, there's never really any problems with um you know different sets of fans going at each other so that's 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 the way it should be like like yeah it it, passion doesn't translate to violence like in football it's the most ridiculous outdated philosophy i'm a west ham fan and like there's almost this weird pride of like older generation west ham fans because they were notorious to you know have a lot of crowd trouble and stuff like that and obviously there's there's a movie with that fella from lord of the rings in it and things like that glorifying it but it's absolutely mm. it, it's yeah just to make that point it's not something to be you know that that's the last thing you need you've traveled all the way you're supporting the game you love the team you love you're having a good day out there's absolutely no reason for that guy to feel threatened by your presence or make you feel threatened and it, it's absolutely ridiculous it shouldn't be accepted and from my experience in in america that's a credit to them that there was women there there was children there and everybody felt completely comfortable and um, yeah, like like you said, you, there is a bit of romance to that in Europe. But I don't think it's the way it should be. It's getting better everywhere, obviously. Um, but you see, the what the other way, what happened in Mexico and things like that, absolutely cannot happen. Like it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's it's you know it can't be understated how how uh, you know yours is yours had a happy ending. It's kind of a funny story. The right. club went out there way to do the right thing. That's great, but. Right. Yeah, the overall sentiment, you don't want to see that. I mean, could have, you know, you know what I mean? You could anything could have happened there. So I'm glad you came out unscathed and I'm glad uh, glad they made it right for you in the end, mate. Yeah, 100% agree, Nash. I think I, I, I've not been lucky enough to get to an MLS game, but I hope I hope it will do soon. But it always felt like quite a family party sort of atmosphere. Um, the, the closest I can liken it to is, is going to some of the A League and other sporting games in, in, in Australia, which I've done. A, done several times and you know it's, it's it's very much a family atmosphere half time the kids are playing with the ball in, in, in behind the, the seating area and stuff and i think it, it, it it's it's the way it should be you know passion you nailed on the head passion does not equate to violence passion is is great passion is what we, we love and we're all passionate about sport violence has got nothing to do with it you know um so yeah hopefully that's a nice incident what you know Perfect to Cincinnati and the way they handled it post the event, mm-hmm. um, but definitely, yeah, we want we want the atmosphere to continue to grow in the right way in the MLS and across all sports. Yeah, and like but I great said, story. I, thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a crazy story, and and I hope that um, we can kind of learn because, like, like I said, and I tried to highlight, you know, throughout the story, there was everybody was very very nice the entire time that we were there. You know, just one or two, you know, random crazy people. Um, so just don't be that crazy person. If you're going to go to a game, you know, be nice, be courteous, be helpful to, to the away fans, to your own fans, to everybody. Um, it's just a lot easier to, well, to my be mom nice. always used to say, if you've got nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. That's it. That's it. Um, so we've got one more thing to, that I want to get to here really quickly before we wrap up. Um, and that is Nashville. So Nashville, they have been on the road. Uh, what is it? Nine straight games, I believe, on the road. They finally will be opening their stadium next week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they have played nine straight games on the road, and they are right on the playoff line. Is this something where... Um, and and John, you'll know the odds a whole lot better than I will. Is this something where they're maybe undervalued in the futures market? 
um, based on the fact that they're maybe like on the playoff line where really they have so many home games coming up that they should be practically a shoe in to make the playoffs at this point. Is, is this something where there's some value? Is this something where um, maybe you, you could see, you know, future games, individual games even going their way? Yeah, I think that's a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And I think I, I haven't watched enough of Nashville to have a, have too much of a strong opinion on just yet. And I think there's a word of caution that we've got to put against it I, uh, a la New York Red Bulls that I think they've done fantastic, fantastically well uh, at the start of the season, particularly with their away record. I do think there's an element similar to what uh, New York uh, FC, New York City experienced early in the season. You know, if you're away, I'm assuming that they've they've, pre- they've stayed pretty close-knit and, and, and not been traveling back and forth from Nashville all the time for these games. So I'm sort of making it more of a tour. I, I don't know for, for sure. But that can sort of um, create a bit of a siege mentality and, and they've probably done pretty well. It'd be really if, if they if they start translating uh, the, their home games now into wins, then I think we, we can really start taking notice of them. But they've got a they've got a, a tricky one against Philadelphia next week. We know that they've not been playing great, but they certainly have the potential to to hurt a lot of teams. So I think Nashville's one to watch over the next few weeks. And if their home form starts to mirror their away form, then yeah, then potentially we've got some some value in. It's interesting that you say they play Philadelphia next week as well, because uh, last season that was the team that knocked them out of the playoffs in a uh, in a penalty shootout. So a little bit of a revenge factor going on there. Nashville has obviously mm. switched from east to west, which makes things, you know, they won't be playing Philadelphia very much. This is the opening of the brand new soccer stadium. It's the biggest soccer specific stadium in the United States. I believe it's 35,000, 36,000, somewhere in that neighborhood, which is pretty big, really, when you consider most of the other soccer specific fields. Um, so it seems from all the videos that have been coming out, it seems like it'll be a phenomenal atmosphere um, and, and definitely will be a, a game to kind of keep an eye on there. You got anything about, about yeah. Nashville, Neshi? No, mate, yeah, I watched them. They were very, like, I guess pragmatic's the nice way to put it. They're very defensive-minded against the Galaxy. I think they know the position they're in. They've, they've, they've given themselves a chance to pick up points away from home, and I think they're really going to... I guess the thing that I'm looking out for is if their strategy is going to change uh, from a tactical standpoint once they have home advantage. is a common theme in football, soccer, where people set up a lot differently away from home to home. And I guess if they stop they basically come out with the same mentality at home i will be a little bit surprised but if they start saying all right we've got we're at home now we can still be resolute at the back but let's let's take a few more risks going forward let's get the crowd on our side then i think they can be a dangerous team i'll be really impressed with um some of their forward players that aren't quite getting the scores that you want them to right now randall leal even Mukhtar to some extent even though he's got a couple nice goals um maybe there is a little bit of value there because because um, the style of play as well as the favorable fixture so something to keep an eye on um yeah i'll just uh, i'll just add to that i'm actually i'm actually going to go out on a limb here and say the value at the moment is with with philadelphia um also having a quick look while while nashi was was giving his views there and i i'd rate them uh, philadelphia is at about a uh where we got it about 30 30 31 percent chance of winning uh which translates to about 3.3 in, in the odds uh, and they're currently available at uh, around 4.3. So, uh, we know we, we obviously discussed Philly, and there's a lot of question marks around their, 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 their setup play, but they've still got the, the quality in the side. 
and I think Nashville will be feeling a lot of pressure. So if I was uh, placing a bet on that game, I, I'd be taking the value, which is Philadelphia right now. That's a really interesting call there. Going against the uh, the whole opening of the stadium, going against all of that. That's uh, I love that. That's a that's a move there, John. I love that. <laughs> um, I'm putting my, my flag, flag in, the, in the sand. That's where I'm going. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you back on next week if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to. Well, actually, on that note, I think we should. It's probably worth us actually um, mentioning for the one that we we both highlighted from this weekend: um, New York and, and Toronto. Obviously, New York ended up uh, winning that one, but we both, both from the stats and from your preview, highlighted Toronto as as a potential as the best long shot from the weekend, and they did storm into that initial two 0 lead. So, yeah. besides, but you know, if you were betting, um, if you were trading the match in play, you would have been able to get out of that on a, on a, with a nice profit. And I think that's again is a another example of where potentially predictology can can help with that Sarah data in that uh, you know we 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 might Toronto as potentially being a threat, which indicates that they're they're likely to score. So you may well have. Um, uh, structured your team to to account for the Toronto forward line or midfielders in that game. So. You started your Pasuelo yeah. or I think I don't know if Jimenez has a card yet or or I have a Sorio. Sorio's been going nuts for me. Um I actually really low key like Toronto a whole lot. They have gotten some nice results. They beat Philly uh, I think at Philly, was that right? Or is that in Toronto? Um, but they did beat Philly a, a week or two ago, um, and they have obviously got Insigne coming in, and this is starting to look like a team that might be one piece away. Um, so I am actually kind of looking at Toronto. Um, they did not start the season really well, but Osorio has been phenomenal, um, and he's not that expensive. I think he's like 0. .1, 0.115, somewhere in that neighborhood. You're getting a guy that's a key piece of a midfield that's going to get Insigne in the summer, and then he's going to be in Canada's World Cup team come the fall so he's got value for days for my opinion but Definitely. you know that's just that's just my opinion. um yeah and uh, i've actually got toronto down in my notes as a, as a potential value next weekend against cincinnati as well so we'll, we'll monitor those during the week but that's another one to keep an eye on. we'll have to keep an eye on that but as as you're talking about next week um i want to and maybe we can start doing this going forward i want to get maybe a game from you to kind of watch or, or a game that um you think has some some decent value or we can maybe start our our offensive stacks start our defensive stacks kind of wherever you want to take this so uh, wherever you want to go we, we can kind of follow you yeah sure look i um i think uh, a couple of things I, i'd sort of pull out i think um defensively i would be looking at uh, the, the chicago fire and the new york red bulls game i think uh new york red bulls have got fairly solid at the back and we've seen how chicago fire is setting up um so i could see those two canceling themselves out and being being quite a low scoring affair um I think there's a really interesting game in, in Columbus with DC coming in. Uh, DC obviously been free free scoring and free conceding, whereas uh, Columbus have definitely lost where the net is. But we've seen earlier in the year that they've, they've potentially they've got the, the ability to score goals, so that could be a, a very interesting match. Um, and yeah, and the two value uh, ones I've, I think I've already touched on would be you know uh, Philadelphia away at Nashville and, and Toronto uh, at home to Cincinnati would be would be two teams I'd be looking to to stack around. Um, this isn't stat-based, but I'm really worried about Atlanta at the moment. So this could be an interesting one for Montreal. And um, Orlando, I don't think have been performing too well. So potentially, at, at pretty long odds, you've got Charlotte um, could be picking up their first away win of the season. Interesting. Any yeah, any of those stand be... out to you, Nashi? What's that? Any of those stand out to you, Nashi? No, I was going to say, I'll be um, I'll be at that Orlando go- uh, game with a bunch of the Soria managers. We're doing a little meet-up over there. So I'll have to message you after the show for the... Uh, the insider scoop you know put my money down yeah, sure. for, for once but uh yeah, looking yeah forward to 
Is there so we we're about ready to wrap up. Is there uh, anything else you want to tell the people about predictology, like how they would the process of getting signed up? I know you're maybe doing a promotion coming up soon. Do you want to? Should we just wrap up with that, just so they know how to how to get going? Yeah, with sure. It? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah, I think as, as I said at the beginning of the of the, of the pod, uh, it is our our eighth birthday uh, this this coming week. Um, so please, you know, feel free to come and uh, pop up to Twitter and, and give us a follow. Uh, we'll be announcing uh, quite a big giveaway on, on Tuesday. Uh, I can't give all the, the details at, at this point, but if you're following us on Twitter, you'll, you'll surely see some of the messages we'll be sharing. But it's a, it's a pretty tasty one. Uh, the total package for the for the first prize, and it's a free draw, is uh, somewhere in the region of about $2,500. So well worth uh, putting your hat in the ring, and who knows? Yeah, you never know with that kind of thing. All you need is a lottery ticket, right? Um, well, I, we really appreciate you coming on here, John, and sharing your time and, and, and your analytics with us. Um, obviously, a, a fantastic conversation. Um, until the next time, guys, you guys have a great rest of your week. Yeah, you too, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye.